Zechariah chapter 2, we see that after everything that Israel has done to the Lord, after all of their turning, all of their wandering, all of their straying away, still God chooses them. Still God loves them. God's ferocious love is put on display in Zechariah 2 over a wicked people, wicked people who have turned their hearts totally against him. And he looks at them on their darkest day and says, I still choose you. It's a reminder to us, no matter where you are, no matter how far you've turned from the Lord, that God's choosing is ongoing, that it's not a one-time thing he did in the past when you were young or at youth camp or in college or Whenever you imagine that mountaintop moment when you're young and you feel like God's kind of left you out to dry, he chooses you again and again and again. Still today, he chooses you, he chooses you, he chooses you, and he's going to keep pursuing you until you see it. I think that's what we see in Zechariah chapter two. Now, some context for Zechariah. You can always remember they go together in the Bible. Zechariah and Haggai are prophesying around the same time, 520 BC. It's in the second year of Darius. This is after a long delay in the building of the temple. And the spirit of the Lord comes to Haggai and Zechariah, stirring up the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, to lead the people to rebuild the temple that had been long laying in ruins. And Zechariah comes to them with a prophetic message. Much of this imagery, by the way, we see in Zechariah, you're going to find uh, resonating throughout the scriptures and especially in the book of Revelation uh, later on. The last book of the Bible is going to echo some of the things we see in this time. Almost the dreams of the temple that we see in Zechariah are going to be find their fulfillment in a way in the new temple that is to come in the book of Revelation. But that's coming way down the line. Now, Zechariah chapter two, the Lord speaks to his people while they're still in the midst of exile. They're still in the midst of darkness. And he says in verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Do you hear that? He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. This is God's language for his people. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Now remember, this exile was decreed by God because of how far Israel had turned their hearts away from the Lord. And yet like a jealous and loving husband watching from afar, he says that all of the bruises that Babylon brought on his people still stirred up in him a a rage that made him want to rush out to his people and help them. God still loves his people that much that he considers them the apple of his eye. We have to remember, this is why reading the whole Bible is so helpful because you get the context. You see just how bad it got for Israel and Judah and it heightens the beauty of a promise like this. Go, for example, to 2 Kings chapter 21, where you see this 12-year-old, Manasseh. I'm smiling right now, but it was terrible. He enters into the kingdom to reign. He sacrifices his son as an offering. He turns to omens, mediums, uh, sorcery. He pretty much looks not even like the northern kingdom Israel, which had gone way far, and I think had already been exiled by the time Manasseh stepped into leadership. He looks like all of the foreign nations around him, just as wicked as it gets sacrificing his children. Like this is how not just the Northern kingdom of Israel, but how David's line, the Southern kingdom of Judah had gotten by the time Manasseh took the reign. And after all of this wickedness, after it got so bad that God said, I'm going to send Babylon against you. He looks at them and says, you're the apple of my eye. That shows you just how deep God's covenant love runs. 
We forsake him, he doesn't forsake us. We break the covenant, he stands by. He is a faithful husband, no matter how faithless the wife is, no matter how faithless the bride is, he stands by. He just can't get over his bride. So he says in verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Verse 12, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. After all the exile, the dark days, he comes to them. And when they least expect it, he looks at them in the eye and says, I choose you again. I choose Judah. I choose Jerusalem, the place that looked hopeless in total disarray and despair. I choose you again. And this is what the Lord does to us. You see, in the New Testament, the choosing of the Lord is not this past tense act that we have to live up to. The choosing of the Lord, the choosing of the Almighty is a permanent identifier of his people. Colossians 3, 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones. You hear that? You are God's chosen one. The choosing of God, it's this mark on the soul where God looks at you and says, I choose you. And it's not just, I chose you. But when Christ went on the cross, all of the factors that could have led him to reconsider his choosing were already in his mind when he went up on the cross. When God chose you in the, at the first, when he set his love at you on you in the very beginning, all of the days where you think that you've been straying and wandering were already in his book when he wrote your name down. The choosing of God, it's not this past tense act, it's this permanent identifier because who's the one doing the choosing? It's the eternal, the all-knowing God and the one who keeps covenant love for his people. God chooses again and again and again and yet, even though that's who God is, you could be in a moment where you feel forsaken. Like Israel and Judah, you look at the Lord and say, I know you chose me, but I feel like I am in the desolation of exile. And so the Lord says in verse 13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Verse nine, behold, this higher up, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder for all those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. The Lord, though we have settled into a distance from our husband, though we've settled into a distanced relationship, Jesus will not settle for a mediocre marriage. He will not settle for his bride living in this settled existence where we believe that God's left us out to dry and he's forgot his choosing. No, the Lord pursues us. The Lord goes after us. The Lord knocks on the door. He knocks on the door until we, with the spirit and the bride in Revelation, say, come, come in, Lord. Close the distance. The Lord will again dwell with his people. If you're in a dry place, know that God will close the distance. He will come after a while. Wait, wait on the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord because a day is coming, brother. A day is coming, sister. When God's going to close the distance, he's going to show you Every single morning, just like the fresh mercies that fall on the ground like the dew, he's going to show you again and again and again, I choose you. And hey, thanks for joining Livefull Daily. If you'd like to sign up to receive the daily newsletter, go to livefull.org slash daily. And if you'd like to support Livefull Ministries, go to livefull.org slash give.